All right, Brian, welcome to the show. You are the Senior Director of Product Strategy at Red Hat OpenShift and host of the very popular Cloudcast. But I want to start with a much more uh, pressing question for both of us. So college football season is, is maybe uh, going to be coming up. And one of, I think, our shared favorite podcasts, PAPN, Podcast Ain't pa- Played Nobody, I think is officially defunct. So I have two questions for you. One, will we have a college football season? And two, what college football podcast should I be listening to now? Yeah, it is. A, we, we are in a very, very dark time right now because not only are there like there, I mean, there's nothing going on. Uh, but yeah, the prospect of like no college football season is is daunting. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think we will. I think it's going to be a really fun season because like I think what's going to happen is you're going to have teams that'll have. I don't know, like the entire wide receiver room will get the, the COVID-19 and they'll have to like pull people out of the stands or, I mean, you're going to have all kinds of crazy stuff happening, which will be fun. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping they play. I really don't care if there's nobody watching. It's just like, I can't imagine a fall like without that on Saturdays. Um, and in terms of podcasts, so I, I, I do listen to these guys, the solid verbal, which are probably the equivalent of like, what you and Cote and, and Matt Ray do and, and what I do on Cloudcast, which is just like a couple of people that enjoy hanging out with each other. They just happen to talk about it a lot. Uh, and then there's this other one called uh, the Andy Staples show. And Andy is, he's like a writer for, for SI. So he's like a, you know, he's like a real journalist and knows his shit. And then, but he also used to be like a walk-on lineman for Florida when Steve Spurrier was there. So he has all sorts of good like <laughs> insights and he talks about barbecue. So it's, it's a good mix of stupidity. I like it. Yeah, no, he does talk a lot about barbecue. I thought Andy, I thought he was over at the athletic now. I thought he had like made his way. Oh yeah, he um, might be. He yeah. Might be. Cause that's a yeah, good, yeah. uh, well, I, I was about to say the athletics, a good site to subscribe to, but now that there really, <laughs> really aren't any sports, there's right. less coverage. Cause I often listen to the audible. That's another one okay. they have going over there with the same kind of crew. And, um, they do a good job covering college football. Cause I think normally this time of year, I think every, um, aren't you usually like, setting up some road trips? Like you usually try to make yeah. that out to a couple of games. So I assume this year you're just, you, you, you know, you're gonna have to play it by ear, you know, see if you can get out to any games. Yeah, I'm yeah, no, I, I actually, the last, the last road trip that we were going to do, we were going to come to Austin. We we're going to come to your neck of the woods yeah. and it got canceled by a hurricane. So yeah, oh. I'm, I'm itching to, to do a road trip, but we've been like a couple of years now without going on a good one. So yeah, it's not a good time for either road trips or football. That's right. Fire up the TVs. That's what I, well, I hope you're, you're optimistic. You sound like you feel like there is going to be a season. I just want there to be some kind of football on. Otherwise there's going to be a lot more podcast recordings. I'm going to have a lot of free time on Saturday or maybe, maybe I should spend more time with the family. We're going to have to figure out what to do. Yeah. So although we spent too much time together as it is now, so yeah, we'll, exactly. we'll see. All right. Well, as I mentioned before, you know, before we get into, uh, all things OpenShift, because you're going to finally straighten this audience out and myself okay. about what OpenShift does. Let's, I always want to go back in time, though. Uh, how did you get into tech? Uh, I think I know you went to Wake Forest, so you're kind of up there in, in uh, North Carolina already. But, you know, how did yep. you get into tech? Like, kind of what was your first job right out of school? Um, so my, my path to tech uh, is a little, uh, I guess, jagged. And so, so I, I read somewhere... Uh, the, the good term to use is like shoots and ladders. Like it, it didn't have a, it didn't have a, a, a straight line in any, any direction. Um, so like in school, I, I, st- I was a, like a business major. I, I was, I thought I was going to go work on wall street and, mm-hmm. you know, was studying finance and all that stuff and had a couple of job offers. And I, for whatever reason, like sometimes you, you think you're going to go do something. And then when the prospect of it actually gets right in front of you, you're like, Ugh, I, I don't really want to sit there and cold call people to be a stockbroker. And so I, I was sitting there my senior year and had a couple of like stockbroker offers and was like, God, this is going to suck. I don't want to do this. And, uh, and my, I, I had a, uh, so I had a neighbor, but then like my, my mother, I, I don't want to say like my mother was in tech. My mom was a secretary, but she happened to work for technology companies. Um, and so at one point she was like, well, if you don't, if you don't like the finance stuff, maybe the technology stuff was interesting. Cause like it's competitive and I had played baseball and that prospect, I was like, I don't know anything about tech. I literally, you know, I I can make a computer kind of work like email, but I didn't know anything about tech. And she was like, well, I'll, I'll ask a friend if they can maybe, you know, call somebody for you. And I was, I ended up doing inside sales. Like that was the very first job I did, which which coincidentally was essentially, you know, smiling and dialing like a stockbroker. (laughs) But the cool thing about it was, um, 
the people who were like quote unquote like systems engineers would be in the office at the end of the day they had gone off and driven out and tried to sell stuff to banks and then they'd be back in the office like trying to put stuff together and i would just pick their brains i'd be like hey how does ethernet work or how does this you know router thing work or whatever it was and at some point i kind of figured out enough technology to to be dangerous and, and then eventually kind of got on the technical side of the world Nice. So nice. yeah, no, 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 no rhyme or reason as to how I got on the technical side. Well, it seems about 50, 50, you know, if not 50, 50 yeah. people I talk to, it's like seeing people come out of just nowhere. They just have no background or completely soft taught, taught. And then there's, you know, people that kind of went the more traditional education route, but yeah, I don't know. It gets all dated so fast. It's like, yeah, why bother with yeah. that in college? Just learn it later in life. If you need to yeah. learn it, you just figure <laughs> it out. Like, you know what? Uh, so at some point though, you ended up, you know, at, uh, in Cisco, kind of during yeah. the heydays, right? In the 90s. Yeah, so yeah, this yeah. is like, this is when, what was it? I can't remember the thing. It was like Cisco, Sun, and uh, I think I'm missing one, but it was like, that was the high flyer. So how'd you get to Cisco and, and what were you doing there? So, uh, so another one of these sort of roundabout things, I, at some point, um, a couple of jobs in, I ended up at this company called Bay Networks, which was a, yeah. like a competitor to Cisco. And I was, I was kind of managing this big region of, of consultants. So I was doing kind of managered stuff. And my boss came in the door one day, this was like literally like five o'clock on a Friday. And he said, Hey, look, uh, good news, bad news. Um, we're, we're going to move this job function up to Massachusetts. And I was living like in Atlanta at the time. So the prospect of going to Massachusetts and snow sucked. <laughs> and so he said, hey, look, here's the deal. Um, one, you can move to Massachusetts like tomorrow. Uh, two, you can be fired. Or three, if you want, I'll send you to classes for a couple of weeks, and then you can be one of our like, uh, you know, systems engineers. Like you can go out and you know, go out on the road and install stuff. And I was like, "Holy crap! How long do I have?" And he's like, "Like right now. You need to decide right now." And <laughs> so I was like, "All right. Well, I'm going to learn some stuff." So I, I, I'm like, "Worst case scenario, I learn stuff for a few weeks." And so, uh, long story short, I I did that. I like, you know, I took some classes for like two weeks and I would get on the road or like, well, I'd get on an airplane like every day on Monday with like five cities to fly to. And I went and learned how to like install routers and stuff like that. And like, I would just take the manuals with me. And so I did that for like three months. And then I went to some event and there was a Cisco guy there and he was like, Hey, we're hiring at this place in North Carolina. And I had gone to school in North Carolina and I was like, Oh, that'll be fun. Like that's like, I get to do router stuff and networking seems interesting. And they were hiring for basically tech support. So, you know, once again, I'm back on the phone, except now I'm doing technology stuff. So kind of a, a weird roundabout way of getting into Cisco. And then Cisco was just this, I mean, it was, it was a rocket ship for like five or six years. Like every day uh, you were working on, well, I mean, number one, you were like building the internet, which was pretty cool. I mean, you, you'd literally like be on call and somebody would call you and they'd go, yeah, um, the internet's down and BBN planet just called and like literally the whole East coast is down. Can you come fix this? And so you, you know, you dealt with stuff that was this crazy scale and then every other week they were buying a new company. So I think when I was there, we, we did 125 acquisitions. So you never got bored. Um, and then of course the internet bubble came along and <laughs> it, uh, it kind of blew up all of uh, Cisco's grand plans to take over the world. Yeah. So who was the CEO? It was uh, John Chambers. It's John Chambers. Yeah. This was during a kid's big rise, right? Like he was doing so well because I remember. Chambers, yeah. Chambers was there. He had, he had just sort of become the CEO when I got there. So it was like 95 when I got there, he had just become the CEO. Um, obviously he, he got there at a good time. Um, people made a lot of money. And then when the internet bubble burst, it was, it was interesting because he went through this phase where he kept telling all of like his you know, his senior staff or his lieutenants, like, I'm only sticking around for like one more year and I'm grooming the next person. And then like six months later, he'd be like, well, the board said they really want me to stick around for another two or three more years. And then people were like, oh, crap, I don't get to be CEO. And they would leave. And so the the after the bubble stuff was really kind of like a Harvard Business School thing of like, you know, what do you do when you have no competition and you have a business model that you don't think you have to change it all, but then at some point it comes and hits you in the face. So <laughs> it was, it was like, I'll give you one story that was sort of interesting. Like this is the way that Cisco would think about stuff. So, you know, they had like everybody in the planet use Cisco stuff. And, and at some point, the cool thing about Cisco was you got to move around. So like I started in TAC and then I did product management and then I did product management in some other group. And then I did some weird government stuff that was all secret. And there's crazy stories with that. And then at one point I got to be like in the M&A group 
because um, we were buying companies all oh, the there time. There you go. Nice. And and somebody came up to me one day and they go, "Hey, um, what happens?" So like about five or six years into after the internet bubble burst, you know, there was this like. Google took off and Amazon was, you know, started kind of getting into cloud computing and you had like there was this thing that went around that was like, what if there's only like five big computers, which was the equivalent of like what we have today, which is like the four or five big cloud computing companies. Mm -hmm. And this this guy came up and he was like, hey, um, what do we do if we only have five customers, except they're the equivalent size of like all of our other customers? And at the time, I remember thinking like well, A, that'd be really bad for Cisco because you can't control your prices. But number two, like, oh, that'll never happen. Like you're always going to have, you're always going to have banks with big data centers. And, and this was like 2006, 2007. And, and I remember them, they kind of thought about it and then they kind of went back to the whole, like, no, that'll never happen. Don't worry about it. And obviously the world's a little different these days. Yeah, it did happen. Well, I was going to say, I, I had uh, only two John Chambers things I heard. One, I was, I, you know, when I say I met him, I guess at the point of time, I was working somewhere and we were doing a partnership and we were at, I think one of the Cisco live events or something. So like he came out, it was like told to us, like he's coming out to the floor and like we had some kind of partnership and like he's coming over to the, like the booth and like be ready to give a demo. It's always like be ready to give a demo. But of course none of these people executives, nor should they even want to see a demo, but he came out. I was like, it was like, it was really weird. It was like, this is must must be what it's like to be like a politician or something. Cause he had this entourage. I kid you not. It was like 10 different people oh, like yeah. following yeah, yeah. him around and it came out. It was like a photo op. And I guess he's not, um, he's not, in, I would not describe him as tall. Like, I'm not super tall, but like he's certainly, right. and it was sort of like, he came over and it was like soup, just super nice, just shaking hands. Like so nice. Just wants to meet everybody. Does not care at all about what, I don't think he had any idea what, what the technology product we were doing. I don't think he cared. It was just like came in, was super fun and like shook our hands. We took a picture. We all got a picture with him and, and off he went. And then this other person I worked with said he somehow worked at Cisco or something. They worked on some M&A or some kind of announcement. He was working in PR and he ended up, I guess, being in the room with John Chambers and that he was very nice again and they were doing some type of acquisition. But I guess John Chambers really likes Diet Coke and he has like, he had like this yeah. like separate thing. Like he had like his own stash of like Diet Coke chilled to a certain level. And I guess anyway, he was offered, I remember this, this person was like offered like a, yeah, you can have one of my, cause I think he went in like thinking it was just <laughs> like, yeah, like, you know, Hey, grab a soda if you want. But it was like, he didn't know. But later on, I guess John Chambers gave him a hard time about like taking this Diet Coke. So I always thought that was like, I, cause I know it's bad. This is very, uh, against the, the health, but like, I like Diet Coke too. So I always thought that was yeah, funny. Yeah, that yeah, like, no, he, man has yeah. Diet Coke. He, he apparently was famous for being like a, like a seven or eight Diet Coke a day kind of guy. Like he, I mean, you know, he ran hard because he ran this big company. But, yeah, he, he was sort of – that was one of those, like, secrets that they didn't really like to talk about very much. <laughs> that was his uh, that was his vice. Well, uh, yeah, I... he, was a, he was an interesting guy because he was, he was dyslexic, and, and he would give these massive keynotes. And so basically he would, he would memorize them. Like, in, you know, like, he wasn't reading off the thing, and he was memorizing them. And he had this great memory, but he was dyslexic. So, like, he, there was this whole thing of – he would build like one or two keynotes for the year and just give them all the time. And yeah, like he was, it was really interesting once you knew that and then watched him do these things, you were like, Oh, that's a guy who overcame this, this kind of big disability. And you, but nobody ever knew it. Like you said, he was like a big, he was like a politician, but you know, he connected with people, you know, even if you'd never met him before. So yeah, he was, he was an interesting yeah, guy. No, I remember, yeah, I remember there was something, I think he even got kind of emotional or something. Like, I think he, when he announced he was dyslexic, like somebody, like a, a girl or something said like he, she was having trouble and she, yeah. I remember, I remember like I was somewhat kind of famous and then I don't even, I think he even went to law school or something in like West Virginia. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, so I don't know. I, I will all say this, like, I don't get, you know, the fact that he, he did or did not drink Diet Coke. I won't judge him. I like it. But uh, no. I was going to say he uh, he did not seem like a man that needed caffeine. I'll tell you that. No. He seemed purely no, no. he did he did, he probably needed to have the caffeine free Diet Coke if such a thing existed for him. So, all right. So you're doing network stuff. So I guess did you actually? I guess this would be. Or did you actually know the original iOS? Wasn't Cisco's original ramen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you actually. I was going to say, thank gosh you didn't go to school because that, that, I never learned Cisco's iOS. I thought it was, I think I saw it one time. I was like, I'm definitely not working on this. I want, I want nothing to, to do with this. That was like, seemed to be like one of the most complicated pieces of software ever built. So you learned that whole yeah. thing. You were able to do it. I, I, I did all, I did all that stuff. I got, I got one of those CCIEs. And oh, that's was, right. You know, Certification. Got, got that fancy stuff. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, it's like, I, I think, so I probably worked on 10 different operating systems at Cisco because they would keep buying companies and they had different operating systems. So like I did networking for a while and then I did voice, like I did all the voice over IP early stuff. Um, I got really into that. I wrote a book about it. Um, so did that for a few years and then we, you know, we built some like super secret government stuff, which was its own version of iOS, which, which was really weird. Cause like at the time <clears throat> the government wanted all the features, but then they said, well, but it's gotta have, it's gotta fit in these certain like departmental stuff. So it can only be written by us citizens, which, you know, you can imagine a tech company like that's nearly impossible. And oh, by the way, um, they would like access to the source code so that they can, uh, you know, review it and stuff. And so I remember going into like various business units and being like, yeah, here's the deal. Uh, number one, um, nobody who's a, a, not a U.S. citizen can sit in this meeting. And like you were basically kicking out general managers and senior vice presidents. And then you'd be like, yeah, and um, we're going to need all the source code. We're going to have to hand that over to the government. And they were like, like what? Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's going to happen. And then we'd be like, well, but there's a, you know, there's a $250 million contract tied to this. And so, yeah, I, I got involved with, with a lot of different of those operating systems. Uh, at, up, and, and again, those were all like, you know, totally proprietary. So like we live in this world now where it's, you know, you got open source stuff and everything probably up until 2010 was, you know, them having all these different proprietary variations of operating systems essentially. And then a bunch of, you know, super high end like ASIC hardware. Yeah, no, I always which, think the Cisco stuff. I mean, that was the black box of all black boxes. Like you, oh, yeah. I'm talking about needing a sort of. You know, I'm kind of generally like I don't know about these certifications, but I remember like no at Cisco, like you need to go study. Like it's like a whole another language. You need to go oh, learn yeah. it, and like you're you're not going to just figure that out. So, all right, so you get to know all of this stuff, and yep. then somehow you get involved to OpenStack. So what? How did that happen? So. I, I'm, I'm trying to think how I got involved with OpenStack. It, I mean, at some point, everybody was was kind of doing some variation of cloud. So it was sort of data center stuff. And, and OpenStack came along. And, you know, like you, you know, if you didn't work for AWS or Azure or Google, you were like, well, we're not VMware. So what's the option? And then OpenStack came along and, and all these companies like Cisco and HP and, and whoever else, we're like, oh, this is our opportunity to make up for, you know, having missed virtualization, right? right. You know, VMware had sort of won that or Citrix or whatever it was. Um, and, and it was, it, you know, it's one of those things where you're like, there's a, there's a technical party that's curious. And then there's, there's a party that's in your brain going open source free software at a company that only sells proprietary stuff. Like this is probably like not the best thing in the world to, to spend your time and cycles on and so forth. But it was, like it was just kind of technically curious how it was going to work. So somehow it was kind of, I was doing it on the side uh, beside whatever I was doing in my day job. And it was kind of a weird story. So we we hired this guy named Lou Tucker, who you may know because you were at Sun. Like he was this famous guy from Sun and he was, I guess, sort of well-known in the open source world. And Cisco basically hired him because they were like, we need credibility in cloud computing and, and open source. And you know, we could, we could hire this guy, Lou, and which was, you know, kind of the crazy thing where you're like, if I hire one person, is he really going to change a You know, 80,000 person culture. But anyways, so they hired him and he was the CTO. And, uh, and so, you know, him and I knew each other from, I don't know, we were at the first OpenStack meetup or something, or we kind of bumped into each other and we get to talking after he got hired. And I was like, Hey, if I can help you with some stuff. And so one day he, he called me and he goes, Hey, um, like I'm doing this new job. They're running me around the world doing all these customer meetings and interviews and all this stuff. Like, can you help me with this? You know, can you do some of them for me? And I was like, uh, I, I guess, but I'm not the CTO. Like, you, they're asking specifically for the CTO. Like, if some schmo like me comes, shows up, like, they're going to, you know, that, that's not like the right level of person to be there. And he goes, okay, we're going to fix that right now. I'm deputizing you. You are now officially the office of the CTO, and you're you're the OpenShift or the OpenStack expert for the Cisco office of the CTO. And I was like, okay. And so we made up some fake business cards, and we would hand them out to people, and because nobody knew the technology, so you didn't have to be that smart at it. And did that for about a year or so, while Cisco eventually figured out, like, oh, I'm not very good at software, and I'm not very good at open source, and you know, if you don't contribute, it doesn't really matter. So, but yeah. So did you get? I was gonna I, say, what uh, did you get to go to one of the OpenStack summits? Because for a while, those I, were I like went to some, a bunch of them. Okay, I was yeah. gonna say, which was the best? Was it one of the ones um, in Europe? 
Uh, yeah, I think Paris was is always kind of goes down as the best one. I mean, they all basically were either I think it was Piston Cloud was one of the companies that took a lot of mm -hmm. EC funding and yeah. HP had a lot of funding. I mean, somebody always had was putting up the, the money for these gigantic parties. I mean, like that was kind of the only reason you went to the, to the summits because, you know, it was it was like everything. There's a small group of people that actually write the code. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then, you know, there was a million tagger honors. Um, but, yeah, the, the parties were fun. <laughs> And then at some point, you know, people would look around and they were like, hey, it's all vendors here. Like, there's literally no customers here. And, and that was the point where you were like, yeah, we, this is probably not going to work out. Like, it's, it's you know, they're this not, not going to last. Hitler and they're not going to beat AWS. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, was, it was fun. Now, did you get invo involved at all with the uh, VCE? Did you get involved in the hyper-converged uh, infrastructure and all that stuff too? I was the, I was the first systems engineer manager at well so before vce the three companies the vmware and cisco and emc sort of had this loose loosely coupled thing they they had a in a name for it i forget what it was like like acadia or something like that and so i was the first se manager for acadia um before it be, formally became vce and it, it was exactly what you'd expect from three really big sort of alpha dog companies with three different sales forces all trying to sell the same thing, but all each one of the sales reps wanted to get paid for it, but not the other sales reps getting paid for it. Uh, so, I mean, that, that thing ended up turning out okay. It was a, you know, it was a good experiment and like, could you put things together? Uh, but yeah, I was like the first SE manager for that, which okay. was, was really interesting because people loved the idea of it. They were like, oh, uh, you know, these three things combined are all really hard if you could put them together and make them simpler, that would be cool. And, you know, what we couldn't tell them initially was, oh, well, we're, we're really just kind of selling you all the stuff together and, you know, we'll, we'll make it work. Over time, they actually, you know, put a bunch of process in place to, you know, make it like there was software that made it simpler. And, um, but yeah, that was, and again, like all these things, like from, I don't know, 2007 through those things, they were all these touch points of like, I think at the time people thought, are we competing with like a VMware or something? And they were, they were all really competing with AWS even before AWS became yeah, before it was like actually know, a, a multi-billion dollar company. Which yeah, is, I remember kind of seeing um, a demo. I think, I, again, I think I saw a whole demo of like VC, like the, the whole thing and it's one of the massive servers. I was like, this is pretty awesome. No, I'm not sure who's going to buy this. That was, that was my, uh, that was my entire well, thing. It was like, this is awesome. And I, it, I've just talked to a lot of people, customers, and I'm pretty sure none of them are going to buy it, but it's awesome. It was, it was, it was one of those things where, uh, the, the guy who, the, the person who ended up buying it was so excited, not because of like what they were getting, but because of the fact that they had consolidated like compute storage, networking and virtualization budget under them. They were like, they were like the king. They were like, I am going to get to spend so much money and everybody's going to report to me whether or not we're awesome at it. Um, so, yeah, that the, that person always you, you knew they were in the room, uh, whoever that buyer was. <laughs> All right. So then, you know, I feel like Cisco, I don't know, maybe this is a bad characterization, but I feel like they because I knew some people that they kind of like fired up the cloud strategy. They were going to have a yeah. cloud. But then it was like over, like almost, I feel like it was like instantaneously over. So it's probably obviously not the really what happened, but were you, were you part of they, that? Like, what was your take on like Cisco trying to get in cloud and then getting out so fast? Yeah, they, about every year they would have a new cloud strategy and, and for the longest time. So as long as Chambers was there, the strategy was always, we will tie everything we do to hardware, which, you know, obviously makes sense. They were a hardware company. Um, but they, yeah, every year they would come out and they would say, well, we're the inter we're the company that makes all the internet equipment, so therefore we should be the company that makes the cloud. And they never really grasped the idea that that the cloud wasn't about you know app, uh, capex and big hardware. And but they would you know they would bring in the equivalent of a Lou Tucker every year to say he's 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 in charge of our new strategy. And so yeah, about a year and a half after the Lou thing, I was like, all right, this is this isn't going anywhere. We're not <laughs> doing this. Uh, let, let's go find a real cloud company to go work for. All right. All right. So that's 
Uh, it looks like you, you know, I always like to talk about this because everyone has a couple of these on the res. At least I have a couple of these on the res. So then it looks like yeah. you're like, well, I'm going to take, you're going to take a shot and take a shot at the, the startup world, right? You've seen all these acquisitions yeah. at Cisco. You probably know some people have gotten rich. You're probably thinking, yep. why am I not rich? So why did you decide <laughs> I'm putting words in your mouth now? Why did you decide to go take a shot and become a VP of product at a startup? Like what lured you into that? Yeah. So, um, so the so it was, this, it was this company called Virtue Stream who eventually got acquired by EMC. So I had actually interviewed them on the podcast. Um, this guy named Rodney Rogers, who, you know, way back in the you know 2008 or so nine days of cloud computing, was was kind of hanging out with the crowd. Um, you know, we couldn't quite figure out what he was doing at the time. Uh, and then this guy that I worked with at Cisco went over to their company and he was running marketing and he called me and said, you know, we need somebody more on the technical side of thing, would you want to come over? And, you know, it's like you said, you were like, okay, this is a startup. It's going to be different than everything I've ever done before. Do I really want to do this? And, you know, you, at some point you just say, fine, I'm going to, I'm going to take a leap, leap of faith. And what was really interesting was I think right around that time, remember when Gartner used to have a magic quadrant of cloud companies and there'd be like, you know, 15 or 20 instead of the like five or six they have now. Of course. Well, at, at some point, VirtuStream showed up on that Gartner Magic Quadrant. And and they were kind of, you know, maybe towards the middle or, you know, kind of middle shaded a little bit bottom left. But, you know, they were competing against these companies that were like gigantic. But this was, you know, way back in the day when it was like the big three plus like Verizon and Terra, Terra Data, you know, or Terra, uh, anyways, a bunch of service providers. And then there was this sort of unknown company and in, in that I just happened to join coincidentally at the time. And it was the craziest thing because we would we would get all these phone calls from either companies that were going to be potential customers or other service providers. And they literally were like, who in the world are you and how in the world did you get on this thing? Because, like, we don't know who you are and we don't know what you do. And and they were kind of this unique uh, kind of cloud provider that the, the guys who started it, the guy Rodney Rogers and his partner, had all this background in SAP. Like, they had been these um, really successful, like – uh, uh, business process optimization, uh, people around SAP. And they basically were like, well, why don't people run SAP in the cloud? Like there's gotta be some reason that they wouldn't want to save money and, you know, have some on demand nature of it. And so that was, that was their shtick for like a little while. Um, like when I first got there, like that was their shtick. They were like, we're the place that you're going to migrate your SaaS stuff to. And they had all these, um, uh, like, like ERP companies. So basically like, uh, consumer consumer retail or what do they call it? Consumer packaged goods companies who were like, I'd like to take 20% out of my supply chain. And they would go to these guys and they would virtualize it and do some other stuff with their applications and save them a bunch of money. Like it was the, it was, it was the equivalent of like VMware back in the day where you're like, you're spending too much on compute. Would you just like to automatically save a bunch of money? Um, and so they had all these customers. And then at one point they decided um, maybe we'll, so the, the the next thing, so when I got there, I was just doing sort of technical marketing for them around the cloud thing. And then one day they decided, hey, we're getting all these phone calls from service providers who would like to do what we do um, in other regions of the world because they didn't have a huge data center footprint. Could you just sell us your software? Basically, it would be like going to AWS and being like, can you just sell us AWS as software? You're like, sure, and, why not? Yeah, it's, so one day they were like, hey, you've done product management for a while. You're the product manager for that. And I was like, uh, okay. And, and it was one of those like learning moments where you go, I probably shouldn't have signed up for this, but you know, I'm a team player and it's a startup and I want us to be successful. And you know, like it's one thing to make your own software and deploy your own software and operate it. It's a whole nother thing to then turn that into something that somebody else buys, you know, because then you have to have yeah, different you know, QA and documentation. And I think our first customer, we literally, uh, you know, it was, it was somewhere in like Saudi Arabia or something or another. And because we'd never shipped software before, at least in that way, we literally had to, you know, take the whole build system to Saudi Arabia with us because like we had no other way of doing, you know? So, um, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was an interesting learning experience. Um, I stayed for a little while, we grew that business and then some other stuff came along and I left and then they eventually sold to, 
to EMC for like a billion and a half dollars, which was kind of crazy because I think at the time I left, the valuation was maybe like 400 million. Um, and I got a I got a notification one day. I landed on a flight and all these people were like, oh, my God, did you hear they got bought? And I was like, I haven't talked to them in like a year. Holy cow. So it was a, it was a cool thing. It was one of those. If you had if you had said which one of these companies on this Gartner Magic Quadrant will be the the, the actual unicorn, I don't think anybody would have ever picked them, um, and they were one of the very few, few that actually survived and and had a good outcome. So it was a yeah, it was a very very interesting learning experience out of that one. Well, good for them, you know. It's always you know, yeah. it's 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 a part of uh, you know my core philosophy. No one knows anything, and that's what no. I always think about like startups and people ask me about them. It's like you know the big companies, right? often are described as bureaucratic because they are, because yeah. that's true, but like the opposite of bureaucratic and sometimes just what you described in the startup is just chaos where you walk in one day and it's like, well, now we're an e-commerce company and you're like, what, what do you mean? Like I thought, I thought, I guess yesterday, yesterday we were an enterprise software company. It's just, so it can be crazy, but you know, sometimes it works out. So, so well, good, good it, for them. Uh, here's, here's your other points of like, you know, nobody knows anything. So, you know, we, we had some sort of marketing strategy, I'm sure, and we advertised in places and probably paid Gartner money and whatever. The, the best marketing strategy that VirtuStream had was the guy who was the CEO was this, I mean, he was, you know, he was a big personality and so forth. And he was all into uh, MMA. Like he was back when it was just getting started. And he literally sponsored some of the fighters. So like VirtuStream was on these dudes' trunks uh-huh. and people would see it at fights and they'd be like, well, who is that? I don't know who that is. And and it was it was like the Gartner Magic Quadrant all over again, except in MMA. And we would the phone would ring because of that. So, it, you know, you think about like, you know, typically companies want to advertise at like golf tournaments and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, nope, <laughs> this, was, MMA. This, was just, this was just this guy's passion. So yeah, Love you it. never know where, where it's going to work. That's fantastic. I love it. I'm going to, I'm going to go to my current job and tell us, we see if I can get some MMA budget. I don't think that's going to go, go well, but I'll ask, you know, why not? Sure. So hey, things are slow in sports. It might be cheaper. All right. Well, let's give the people what they really want to know yeah. about here. Let's get into Red Hat OpenShift. You can finally straighten this out. So first let's, let's make it simple. How did you get this, this big time job at, at Red Hat? How did you find this place? All right. So, um, so this is another one of those shoots and ladder stories. So, uh, I was, I was running open, I was running open source at EMC, which is a, that's a whole nother story we won't get into. And I, at some point I decided, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. And so I was, I was doing some freelance stuff for, uh, the guys that are the cube. So like Stu and, and Dave Vellante and those guys. And I was, you know, I was kind of doing like six months as an analyst, um, just to sort of fill some time. And, I ended up having, I got asked by, um, uh, Abby, not Abby Fuller, Abby, who used to, Abby Kearns, who ran the, the cloud native computing foundation or no, she ran the cloud foundry foundation at the time. And she said, we would like to sponsor you to write a paper that just kind of compares cloud foundry with all these other things that are out there right now. So it was like OpenShift and Apprenda and, and it was like seven or eight like paths kind of things. So I wrote this, I wrote this really long, like 10 page report and cloud foundry won. And, you know, not because they sponsored it, but, you know, they probably should have won at the time. It was like 2015. So I wrote this thing. And I think at the time, OpenShift, it was like they were just starting to dabble with Kubernetes. And I remember thinking, like, Kubernetes is this thing from Google. So, of course, they're going to they're going to give up on it because they give up on everything. And it's not going to it's like nothing's going to happen with it. So like I and and it was a it was literally like their 1.0 product. And so I was like, oh, it's nice, but it's not very interesting. And about four months or five, you know, four or five months later, uh, I wrote like a follow-up and I was like, yeah, Kubernetes is, is kind of starting to make a little headway in the, in the cloud foundry world. And, you know, you may want to pay attention to it. And I literally got a call from the folks at Red Hat and they said, Hey, look, we, we read those papers and we didn't, we didn't like your answers, but you seem to kind of <laughs> understand the space a little bit. Um, would you like to come help us in case if you ever had to write another paper, like we would do better. And I was like, you know, I've never, I live in Raleigh. Uh, I've never worked for the, like the one local company that's here in Raleigh. Like I've always been on the road and worked for California companies. And I was like, seems like as good a time as any to work for the local company. And I don't know if this Kubernetes thing will take off because, you know, I still was kind of like, I don't know if anybody's going to use it. Uh, Cause again, like I don't, <laughs> I don't buy into the whole, I didn't buy into the whole Google thing. Right. And, uh, and they said, no, no, you should come in and, and we'll tell you about some of the actual companies we have, like customers we have. And, you know, the, 
the customers they told me about, I was like, oh, well, those are like real paying customers. Like they're not like, you know, Tom's University of Guatemala who has, you know, two nodes running somewhere. They were like, you know, real companies doing real stuff. And I was like, yeah, sure. We'll, we'll give this a try. Like, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes. Um, yeah. So I, that's kind of how I, you know, backed my way into this, this thing because I, I didn't, I guess I didn't bash it that much. And so they felt it was okay. There you go. That's a good tip for yeah. everyone. If you want a job somewhere, write critically of someone else's software and then they'll call yeah. you up. That's, that's how you should yeah. do it. Just burn most of the bridge, not the entire bridge. <laughs> that's right. Leave a, a few little, planks. Just a little plank to cross. Okay. So I, you know, probably everyone knows what OpenShift is, but I still think this is like, you know, I always like to ask people how they describe things because I think it, you know, there's platform as a service. Sometimes people say yeah. that's, that's an old term that doesn't exist anymore. And there's lots of, you know, new platforms. So how do yeah. I know you spend like all day doing this. So when someone asks you, you know, like a business leader, they say like, what is OpenShift? Like, how do you describe it? Um, I think we used to describe it as paths because when we first got started with it, like that was the thing that people wanted. So, you know, they looked at like a Heroku or Cloud Foundry or whatever. And so we were like, we're a pass. We make developers, you know, you write code and you push code. And then when Kubernetes kind of started taking off, we were like, oh, well, we we also do CAS, you know. So like if you care about containers, we do CAS too. And that, of course, made things a little confusing because they were like, well, which one are you? And we were like, that's just a feature. Don't worry about it. Like just deploy applications. And then nowadays, like, we support serverless, you know, quote unquote serverless on the platform. So it's also a FAS and it does some cool stuff with AI and ML. So I've kind of gotten back to the point where I just say, look, it's, it's an application platform. Uh, it runs everywhere consistently. So like if your thing is, you know, we want to be multi-cloud or hybrid cloud. Um, but I, I try not to get into too many of the, you know, which as a service variants is it? Cause it, it kind of supports them all. And, you know, different people care about different stuff. Like, you know, data scientists don't care about, you know, functions as a service per se, but they do care about other things. And Java developers might care about paths. So yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a little weird in that sense of like, it does a lot of things. Um, but yeah, we've tried to kind of get away from it just being in one category. Gotcha. So a place to build applications, deploy them quickly, yeah. provide value. Right. And then you can, yeah. when, when people start asking questions, you can start like, yeah, we can do that. We do yeah. this. Okay. Yeah. Now, I think of like one of the biggest things that happened to OpenShift, and I wanted to you know, definitely want to get the insider take now that it's all history. Is like yeah. when Red Hat bought CoreOS, right? That seemed to be, I don't know, like I don't know if it was changing of the guard, but I was like, wow, that seemed like a huge change, right? In the sense of like you know bringing in OpenShift and CoreOS together. So I guess whatever you want to reveal, how did that acquisition go down, and you know how how did you ultimately get all that integrated together? Yeah, so we so so if you think about any of these platforms, there's some part of it that application developers care about, um, and then there's part of it that you know, especially if it's software. Like if it was a cloud service, different. But like if it's software, operators care, like operations people or security people care about. And if we were honest with ourselves back in the day, we would say OpenShift was was pretty good for developers and pretty mediocre for operations people. Like the operation people had to, to do a lot to be really successful, but we could we could help developers, you know, be relatively successful. And so we were we were sitting there at some point um, going, okay, we're gonna have to put a lot of money. I mean, like all the feedback we got from people was we like it, but you know, it's hard to install or hard to upgrade or hard to scale or whatever it was. Um, and so we, we were sitting there and we're like, okay, we're gonna have to dedicate the next year and a half or whatever to basically fixing all the operation stuff or improving it. And just coincidentally, um, the CoreOS team basically came on the market. Like, I don't know if they were looking for another round of funding or running out of money, or I don't remember all the details, but basically we were on their short list of saying, Hey, you, we both do, we both do open source. We both do Kubernetes. Um, you know, like we both do Linux, you know, fundamentally like we would probably get along with each other and uh so we had the chance to buy them um we were we were really excited because we we knew we weren't gonna have to do 18 months of work like they were CoreOS's thing was we do operations like really well um we're always secure like that was their background and so you know kind of marrying the two of those things together even though on the surface it probably looked like a lot of overlap 
it kind of solved our problem and it gave them, you know, a, a you know, pretty, pretty decent exit for the, for a startup business. So that's kind of how it came together. It wasn't, uh, you know, like at the time people were like, oh, they're, they're trying to consolidate the Kubernetes market. And we were like, man, there's 80 distributions out there. Like we're not, we're not, we're not consolidating anything by taking one company off the market. No, I, I remember. I, th- I thought it was a super savvy acquisition. I think, it, I mean, it is one of those cases where it seemed like it fit well. And then at one point, I mean, so different now, the CNCF, there's like, I don't know, 8 billion projects in there. But at one point right. I was like, wow, I was looked down like the list of like the top contributors. It was like Red Hat, Coral S, Red Hat. I was like, oh, this is pretty smart. So, um, but lots of changes since then, right? It's like, I don't know, yeah. lots of new projects. So, uh, so that's good. That was, that's, that, you know, I always like to see, it seems like a, I don't know, hopefully the CoreOS team's still happy. I don't really know anyone there. So we'll just assume they're happy. They, they all found good places at Red Hat. seems like a good place for developers and CoreOS type people to work. So I'm sure they're doing well. Um, yeah, there's a bunch there. Um, I, I will say that there is, there is this one podcast, which, which popped up in my feed somehow. I, and I don't necessarily know how, but I guess there's a bunch of sort of maybe ex CoreOS people. I mean, there's a, there, you oh, know, really? some number always tell me I was leaving. There's some podcast now called the Popcast, which seems to be this guy who wants to interview all the ex CoreOS people. Okay. So if you're really, if you're really, really interested in that, yeah, it's called Popcast. I think it's a guy from Sysdig who I don't know if he just knew them all, um, but yeah, if you're if you're really into CoreOS history or you're really like, oh, how do they do their thing? Um, yeah, go listen to that one. That one's kind of a kind of an interesting, you know, listen. It's, you know, it's it's. Uh, uh, um, it's Alex and and uh, and all those folks, you know, just kind of telling history of CoreOS. All right, good. We'll put a show. Yeah. I did not know that. I'll put a link in the show notes. I'll go listen. I, I didn't even know about that one. So fantastic. All right. Well, the other thing that OpenShift, I, I, I don't think this is like breaking any news. I feel like the number one thing we hear about OpenShift is, uh, you know, it's designed to be a multi-cloud solution. I have retired hybrid cloud. I just don't even say it anymore. Okay. I say, I've heard now it's just multi-cloud. That's what we say. But uh, you can also say hybrid cloud if you want. So usually it's whenever I see OpenShift mentioned, no matter who's talking about it, they will say something like it's a multi-cloud hybrid cloud solution. So so why? Like why is it you know being positioned that way? Why is it such a good fit? Um, so I, I think we like we we've always sort of done that initially just because Kubernetes could run anywhere. Like that wasn't, it wasn't our intention to like go, I don't think go define something of like hybrid or multi-cloud. Cause like you said, you know, the definitions don't really matter anymore. Um, our, our biggest thing is we, we so we, we do two things with it now. So when we first got started, it was, it was essentially just software. So it was no different than any other kind of software platform, like, you know, vSphere or Cloud Foundry or, or anything else. Um, but we spent a lot of time making sure that it ran pretty well on, on kind of everywhere. So anything from like bare metal to virtualization to like all the public clouds, um, we were, you know, we had customers who were like, I want to run it on Azure. I want to run it on top of AWS. I want to run it on bare metal. So we spent a lot of time doing that. And then over time people would be like, well, we, we like the software, but we don't want to run it. Like we just, you know, it's not something we want to spend our time and cycles on. And so we started building these managed versions of it. Um, so we have a managed version that now runs in all the different public clouds. And that's actually a space that's that's sort of taking off. Um, I mean, we expected it to take off, but more and more with, you know, companies just saying, hey, it's hard to find Kubernetes skill sets, or I just want to put my efforts into building the application. Like, letting somebody else run that part of it for you, um, you know, with sort of like all the enterprise security and stuff around it, uh, is, is turning out to be, you know, pretty interesting. It's, it's sort of driving a lot of, um, a lot more interest than people saying, you know, do I want to build something on premises, right? Still available, but like maybe less desirable, especially if, you know, you're, you're trying to go to the cloud for other stuff anyways. Yeah. So I was trying I was looking cause the last announcement I saw, or the most recent one was uh, the announcement with AWS, right? So AWS, mm-hmm. uh, what is the official announcement? Like, is it a managed service uh, for, yeah, for so, AWS now? So, so here's the thing. So, like I said, you could always just buy the software, spin up a bunch of AWS VMs, and just like run it on top. No, right. no different than if you ran, I don't know, some middleware thing. And what happened? So, like a year ago, or maybe a year and a half ago, uh, Azure called us, like the I don't know, like the Satya Nadella people called us and they said, hey, we're seeing a lot of people do that on Azure. Would you be interested in in having like a native Azure service? And we were like, yeah, we didn't we didn't know that was an option. But, yeah, that would be really cool. Like if it was not 
like an add-on, but like a, an Azure service. And so we had built this thing with them that we call Azure Red Hat OpenShift, which is it's literally in the Azure console. You use Azure commands to spin it up. It's built through Azure. It's you know sold by the Azure teams, all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, and then like I don't know when it was three or four months ago or whenever it was. Um, AWS came to us with sort of the same thing. They said, hey, we're seeing a bunch of people running OpenShift on uh, on AWS. Would you like to make something more of a native service on AWS? And so, yeah, it will it will literally be a AWS service, just like, uh, you know, EKS or RDS or whatever. Um, it'll just be, hey, I click a button and I spin up uh, an instance of OpenShift. So, um, yeah, it's, it's it, you know, I, I think it falls into that sort of the power of defaults, right? We, like people would use AWS with OpenShift, but now that they don't have to be like, oh, it's a different IAM or it's a different billing model. Um, you know, it's just now a native thing in AWS, like, like other stuff they announced at uh, reInvent. That's right. It's in the catalog. Good. All right. So, cause I knew yeah. it was Azure and then. I don't know. GCP is GCP still hanging out there? No, no official announcements today. It's nothing, nothing official yet. We we run a service on on GCP, right? Um, but uh, yeah, nothing official on there. It right. is. It was. It was a weird thing because usually for most companies, like uh, you get to November and and you're like, okay, is AWS going to put us out of business? Like, are they going to announce? And then you know, like we knew behind the scenes, but like seeing them announce it and then we didn't go out of business, like that was. That was kind of a cool, uh, kind of a twist on, on AWS announcements. That's a good feeling, right? Yeah. Well, you're in the, yeah. you're in the catalog hey, now. Still, you're in there with still, everything we still, else. The, we still have a job. That's right. Cool. The hundred. You're the hundred thirty fifth, or whatever it is, or one forty five. I don't know. They know they announced a couple of things this week, so good. That's All right. right. Us well, and managed satellites. That's right. That's right. You're just above managed satellites. Uh, all right. Well, the other thing I guess we, you know, we got to touch on the biggest thing that's happened, I guess, to Red Hat. You know, I don't know. Ever big, is getting acquired by IBM. So you know, you were, you were there. You went through the whole acquisition project uh, yeah. uh, timeline there. So now that you're part of, well, I'm not even gonna say that because I think that's the way, wrong way to uh, word that question. So how has the acquisition changed your job and your life at Red Hat? Um, I, almost zero. Uh, it, you know, it was, it, you know, it was a weird. It was kind of a weird gut punch the day it got like leaked on the internet. Um, because I was, I remember just sitting around on a Sunday and, and seeing it pop up on Twitter and being like, "Oh, holy crap!" Because, you know, it, it was IBM, and that's just IBM and Red Hat are just very different places. Um, but they've been they've been really good. Like all the talk about, "Hey, we're going to leave you alone." Like they they literally just leave us alone. They don't they don't touch our product strategy. Um, you know, sometimes we have to go on sales calls with IBM people, which is a little weird. Like we've had a few times where they they eyeball us because we're not wearing a suit, um, you know, like you're wearing jeans to to go meet with, you know, some bank in New York City. And we're like, yeah, we would have done this yesterday. So we're doing this today. Uh, but, yeah, it's 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 more or less been the same. I mean, I, I uh, I'm a little disappointed I didn't get any like Super Bowl or Masters tickets. Um, but but other than that, it's it's kind of we haven't gotten the blue wash thing. We haven't gotten any of that stuff they normally do. So. Uh, well, I think you've got the opposite. Like, have I think they? Yeah, they have the well, they, red is red, blue is blue. I think that's like a public campaign. I feel like I've seen a, that, right? A, yeah, I mean, they still let us open source everything. In fact, they actually just sent over like uh, like a hundred engineers to do some uh, multi cloud management stuff that um, is going to take some 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 of their technology. Where it's going to combine with some of our technology. We're going to actually open source all of it. So, I mean, it, yeah, there is a little bit of like the Red Hat way is is dictating some of this stuff so yeah i mean so far so far so good all right well i was gonna say the most importantly nobody at red hat has to use lotus notes you haven't been forced to install lotus notes I, have you not no okay. no although we I'm do waiting. have to use we, we do have to use webex so you know it's but no it's not notes we, yeah we don't have to well use notes. i was gonna say when um, did you have to use notes yeah everybody everybody oh. at ibm uses lotus notes it's like it's it's still the back-end email system it's still the backbone of uh of the company i mean i mean IBM has all these crazy applications that basically are Lotus Notes applications that are provide various like finance and all this other stuff. So it's, it's not, you know, you're not Lotus Notes is never leaving IBM. Right. I'm just saying, yeah. so it's not there. Well, so I don't, I don't know. I, I, you know, you say that, but like, isn't the, and this will probably come up on one of your regular shows, like the new stink in Silicon Valley. Like, isn't there something called, Hey, Oh gonna yeah, that's like, going to be tuned in. Like my, my favorite thing is they, I read their thing and they're like, we are going to make you fall in love with, with email. And I'm like, I never loved email. Oh, like, yeah. I, that's going to be, does, but, 
That's going to be on the it's show. Don't worry about it. At, we have a lot to say. Let's talk about that. I'm sure you do. We have a lot to say on, on hay. I have a lot to say on hay. I'm, I'm excited. So, uh, well, you know, I guess maybe we'll just end on a couple basic things here. So, you know, you, you at one point, you know, you were, you were certainly a uh, traveling machine. So what are you doing now? Like how, how has your job changed now that you can't travel? Are you doing everything virtually like the rest of us? I'm, yeah, like everybody else, uh, I had to. I moved my office around so it looks halfway presentable in the background. That's I bought right. one of those. I bought one of those. Like uh, I think the kids call them selfie lights. Yeah, um, ring so light. Get the ring light. Ring, yeah. ring light. Yeah, yeah, yeah there yeah, you yeah. go. So, so it looks good. Um, I still haven't figured out how to do like an HD camera, but I'm, I'm sure Matt Ray. Probably, if I really dug into his stuff, I could probably figure it out. Oh well, I, just, I mean, yeah, I've got an old Android phone and got like 17 <laughs> days of extra spare time. I'll show you how to get one for free, or you can just buy one off the internet, like the rest of us. Yeah, but other than that, I think I, I recycle through like the same three or four T-shirts and two pairs of shorts every week. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm I'm living the, uh, the the not going anywhere life. It's very very weird because I think I was doing I don't know 150 thousand miles a year. So I do get a I do get a lot of like, hey, we miss you from Delta Airlines, mm-hmm. but I don't think I'm I don't think anyone's going anywhere this year. Like I would yeah. be very surprised if I took a business trip. Yeah, it seems like it's going to be locked down till the end of this year. So. Well, you know, it's a good time to spend time with the family or, you know, exactly. or, uh, or if you're Matt Ray, you know, build cameras out of, uh, cell phones, you know, whatever yeah. you want to do. So my kids are gardening. Like we, we get all sorts of fresh, uh, cucumbers. So oh, that's wow. our thing. There you go. Yeah, we're, I was going to say my, my son, he's just playing a lot of Fortnite. So maybe, I'd, maybe okay. we should do a garden. We'll have to get on that. So, but I'd probably involve me getting involved. So that probably won't happen <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Nothing will happen on that. Uh, all right. So listen, we're almost out of time here. So let's, let's yep. do a couple of things. One. Um, so I, if I, if I want to get started with open shift, how do, how do I do it? What should I do? Um, so I, I hate for this to be a plug, but I'll, I'll make it real simple. So, uh, if you want to, uh, learn about open shift, try open shift or demo open shift. If you just go to learn.openshift.com, try.openshift.com or demo.openshift.com, like, however you want to deal with it, like it's at those URLs. So that should be kind of easy to remember. Um, and you can, everything on those is all free. You don't need any like servers to set it up. It's all just kind of virtual stuff. So either try demo or learn OpenShift uh, will help you with those things. All right. So it'll be uh, lots of fun stuff to get started. And then where can I find you on the internet? What kinds of things are you doing? Um, so probably either the cloudcast. So I, I hate to take uh, listeners away from you guys, but yeah, so we do, we do a somewhat similar, uh, cloud computing, uh, show every Wednesday. And then, uh, you know, Twitter, be gracely on Twitter is always a good way to, uh, if you want to chat about anything, college football, barbecue, or, you know, open shift, I guess. Or if you want to talk about, you know, like how to not, uh, define what your career should look like and you want to back into things, happy to share stories about, uh, tricks and tips. That's right. Shoots and ladders. That's you're you're exactly. good. You're good at playing shoots and ladders. That's what I learned that's, on that today's episode. Yeah, and me. I was gonna say, and for sure, everyone should check out the Cloudcast. I, I would say it's well informed. They actually know what they're talking about. Brian's usually on top of it. His guests are on top of it. So a lot of accurate information. Not you know. Yeah, you've been on. We need to get you back on again. Yeah, anytime, anytime. All right, Brian. Well, thanks for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And I uh, just want to let everybody know that if this is the first time you've ever heard Software Defined Talk, welcome. You can subscribe probably right now in your podcast player. But you can also go to www.softwaredefinedtalk.com. There you can join our Slack, follow us on all the social media, find different ways to subscribe. And if you want a Software Defined Talk sticker, this is what you got to do. Just send me your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. Be happy to send you a sticker or a few stickers anywhere in the world. And with that, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next time.